Usually when we get, thanks, usually when we get to this point, um, I just start hammering scripture upon scripture. <laughs> and we're going to do it. <laughs> but I'm kind of standing here in fear and trembling because of the word that I have here. Okay. So this is something that I saw and um, this is that I, something I respectfully submit. And uh, I believe God will be speaking to us today. All right. Okay, so go to Revelation chapter 14. All right, Revelation chapter 14. Okay, so I believe the scripture declares the scripture. So the one, if you read a scripture, somewhere there will be another scripture in the word that will give more explanation on the same thing. So God will repeat certain things in certain books over millennia because there's, there's mysteries that, that all interlock with one another. So Revelation is not a futuristic book. Revelation is not something for one day in heaven. Revelation isn't a fearful thing of everything that's going to explode and dragons and all kinds of... It's spiritual visions. Okay, so... When, when you read Revelation, you need to keep in mind the cross. You need to keep in mind the cross. Because the very first chapter says, 1 verse 1 says, This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Okay? The Amplified says, To disclose and make known to his bondservants certain things which must shortly and speedily come to pass in their entirety. And he sent and communicated it through him, his angels, to his bondservant John. Right, so, when you read this, shortly isn't 2,000 years. That's longly. It's not shortly. Okay? So we need to keep it in mind. So when you read the scripture, and the scripture reminds you of another scripture, go read the other scripture. Okay? So God will speak through his scripture, and the scripture will declare the scripture. All right. Okay. So when God says something in the one scripture... And he uses a certain picture. He's, he does it for a reason. That same picture is not going to mean the opposite later. He didn't forget what he said there. He brings it out again. So there's certain themes that just come through the Bible. And if you just connect all these things together, you get a clear message that doesn't confuse anybody. Okay. All right. Okay, re let's start reading. Who lot is it now? Okay. Hold on to your hats. Revelation chapter 14. Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand men who had his name and his father's name inscribed on their foreheads. 
Okay, so last week we spoke about Mount Zion and the city of God. All right? So Mount Zion and the city of God is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the New Testament church. It's, it's everyone in heaven on earth together that is uh, saved by the blood of Jesus, that, uh, that uh, received salvation through the Holy Spirit. Okay? Are we one on that? Okay, right. So um, Hebrews chapter 11 says, You did not come to a mountain that can be touched. So this is a spiritual mountain. You did not come to a mountain that is ablaze with fire, a fearful sight where Moses said, I'm afraid. That uh, no one could bear the command that was given that even if an animal touches the mountain, it shall be thrust through with a, with a spear or stone to death. But you did come to Mount Zion. Okay, so in the natural, where is Mount Zion? It's the, it's the mountain on which this, the city Jerusalem is built, the square city. Okay, so if you look at Jerusalem, the old city is like a square, and it's on a hill, Mount Zion. All right? So it's all parables of things to come. Okay, so we saw... I looked and behold, the Lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 men who had his name and his father's name inscribed on their foreheads. So it's not the name of the beast. Do you know that those who believe have the name of the Father and the name of Jesus on their foreheads, okay, and on their hands, okay? Right, so if we go to uh, Revelation chapter. 21 he says then verse 9 then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with seven final plagues came and spoke to me he said come with me i will show you the bride the lamb's wife so we spoke about that last week the bride is not the bride to be it means she's already married okay that's what any dictionary will tell you the lamb's wife Then in the spirit he conveyed me away to a vast and lofty mountain and exhibited to me uh, the holy city of Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. Clothed in God's glory in all its splendor and radiance, the luster of it resembled a rare and most precious jewel, like jasper shining clear as crystal. So there's the mountain with the city. It had a massive and high wall with 12 large gates and at the gates there were stationed 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the Son of Israel. So that's the Old Testament saints. Right? You with me? Okay. On the east side, three gates, north side, three gates, south side, three gates, west side, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them the 12 names of the 12 apostles. New Testament church. Okay, so back to Revelation 14. He says, Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144, 12 times 12 times 1,000, which is fullness, which means everyone from the old and everyone from the new. That's the city of God. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the church of the firstborn. You have come to the spirits of the saints made perfect. Okay, I'm not reading it now because we read it last week, okay? You have come to the spirits of the saints made perfect. That's the Old Testament church. You have come to the angels in festal gathering. You've come to the church of the firstborn. 
Okay, which means everyone born of the Spirit. Old Testament and New Testament together is the city. 12 times 12 times 1,000, all included. So the 144,000 is not... Uh, I mean, what have you heard about that? So 144,000 is old, new, together, all of them. All right. But the name of the Father inscribed on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of great waters and like the rumbling of mighty thunder. The voice I heard seemed like the music of harpists accompanying themselves on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne of God and before the four living creatures and before the elders of the heavenly Sanhedrin. No one could learn to sing that song except the 144,000 who had been ransomed, purchased, redeemed from the earth. Okay, do you see? Is it clearer? The ransomed, purchased, redeemed. Okay, so Revelation 5, verse 9 and 10. Uh, uh, he has, we give glory and honor and blessing, power to him. For he, with his blood, he ransomed us. He purchased us from every nation and kingdom and tribe and tongue unto our God. He formed us into a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Okay, so are you the ransomed of the Lord? Are you washed in the blood of Jesus? All who are ransomed of the Lord, who are washed in the blood of Jesus, is the 144,000, the old and the new together, and the fullness of it. Okay, who had been ransomed, purchased, redeemed from the earth. Verse 4, these are they who have not defiled themselves by relations with women, for they are pure as virgins. Okay, so this doesn't speak of things that you've done wrong. This speaks of people who want to honor the tradition of the old above the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, Revelation chapter 7 verse 4, it says, uh, do you not know... Uh, the marriage law is bound, binding to a woman for as long as she's alive, but when, when her husband dies, she's loosed from the marriage law, and if she unites herself to another husband, she's not called an adulteress. Likewise, you have undergone death as to the law, so that you may be united to another, to Jesus Christ. Okay? Right, so uh, this, it's, speaking of idolatry, it's spiritual adultery, is when we are the bride, the lamb's wife, but we want to go back to the old, be united to one that already died. Okay? Which is not a great picture. Okay. Now it says, these are they who follow the lamb wherever he goes. Romans 8.14. Okay? Man, if we go to every scripture, we're going to stay here till tomorrow. But it says, these are they who follow the lamb wherever he goes. Those who are led by the Spirit are... Sons of God. Okay. These are they who have been ransomed, purchased, and redeemed from among men as the first fruits uh, for God and the Lamb. All right. Just keep your finger there and quickly go to James chapter 1. Hope we get through everything. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Verse 18 says, And it was of his own free will that he gave us birth as sons by his word of truth, so that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, a sample of what he created to be consecrated to himself. You with me? Okay. By his word of truth, he gave us, gave it, he begot us himself by his word of truth, so that we can be first fruits of his creatures. So 
Let's go back to Revelation chapter 14. These are they who have been ransomed from among men as the first fruits for God and the Lamb. Okay, verse 5. No lie was found to be upon their lips, for they are blameless, spotless, untainted, without blemish before the throne of God. Okay, Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. Okay. You, uh, yet now has Christ reconciled you to God in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you holy, faultless, irreproachable in the Father's presence. Do you see that? So what, what makes them holy, blameless, faultless? It's the blood of the Lamb. Okay? All right. Back to Revelation chapter 14. No lie was upon their lips, for they are blameless, spotless, untainted, without blemish, before the throne of God. So all of this are speaking of the church who are washed in the blood. Everything we've read so far speaks about the church. This is not something to come. We're already there. We've already come to Mount Zion. This is already now. Okay? Now he says... Then I saw another angel flying in midair with an eternal gospel. Now, the word angel in Greek, angelos, is also interchangeably used. It means the word messenger. It can be a supernatural messenger. It can be a natural messenger. So when he writes to the churches in Revelation 1 to 3, he says to the angel at Sardis, to the angel at Ephesus, to the angel. So who is that angel? He's the preacher of the church. Okay, do you see my wings flap, flap? Okay, so no, the, the, the word there, angel, means messenger. Okay, but it can be a heavenly being. Okay, but it can be someone sent from God to bring a message. Okay, then I saw another angel flying in midair. So remember, it's spiritual visions with an eternal gospel. To tell all the inhabit to, to tell the inhabitants of the earth to every race and tribe and language and people. So if you want to exclude some races and some tribes and languages and people from the gospel, you need to repent. Okay? It's for all people, it's for all nations. He brought he bought us Revelation five verse nine and ten out of every nation and tribe and kingdom and tongue. All right. He cried with a mighty voice. Revere God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has arrived. Fall down before him, pay him homage and adoration, and worship him, who created heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Okay. So, just pay attention to the judgment. Okay. Then another angel, second, a second, followed declaring, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, she who made all the nations drink of the maddening wine of her passionate unchastity and idolatry. Okay. So Babylon the Great is not New York City. It's not, you know, everyone thought that was, you know, when Katrina came, it was New Orleans, you know. If you, can, if you want to take these scriptures to the newspapers, you'll find all kinds of things. Babylon the Great is Jerusalem. Babylon the Great is the city in the Middle East, Jerusalem, who refused to receive him. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. 
but to as many as did receive him, gave he power to become sons of God. Okay, so why, why is it called Babylon here? Because Jerusalem is here directly likened to the city Babylon, where they were taken into bondage. Okay, when they came back, they changed everything to fit like they did in Babylon. So there was, the, God never instituted the synagogue. But they got the idea from the Babylonians. When they got back, they b- built synagogues. So, so many things they brought back from there. They aspired to be like Babylon. Okay? So Babylon the Great doesn't speak of anything else but the natural city, Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem. All right? Okay, she made all the nations drink of the maddening wine of her passionate unchastity and idolatry. Then another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a mighty voice, whoever pays homage to the beast and this statue, it speaks of the statue in Revelation chapter 13, and permits the beast's stamp and marking inscription to be put on his forehead and on his hand, he too shall have to drink of the wine of God's indignation. So what is... The stamp on the forehead. It's what people think. So we know that Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Be transformed by the entire renewal of your mind. Okay? Uh, Ephesians 2, Ramad verse 3, You who were host- in a hostile attitude of mind in your, in your wicked activities, God has brought to life together with Christ. Okay? So uh, you have... Your mind needs to be renewed. Okay, so to the stamp on the, on the head and the stamp on the hand, the mark is what are you thinking and as the result of that, what are you doing? Okay, so it's a life of what is the belief system that we live from? Okay, is it out of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in separation from God or is it filled with the Holy Ghost and led only by the Holy Spirit. Not regarding your own thoughts, your own ideas, but only regarding what the Spirit says. So it's either one of the two. So the mark of the beast, beast is natural, it's carnal. So what is natural and carnal? Is those who follow after their own passions. Is those who follow after their own darkened minds. All right? So it's those who pursue knowledge to lead themselves instead of surrendering to the Spirit and letting the Spirit lead. Because we're, uh, uh, those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Romans 8 verse 14. Okay. So it's speaking of these two groups. And the one group, those washed in the blood, those cleansed, those made holy by the blood of the Lamb. The 144,000 standing on Mount Zion. They are holy before the throne, presented holy and blameless and spotless. And the other group is those who have the, still the mind and the deeds of the beast, carnal, natural. It's what the Bible always speaks about, where there is wrangling and factions and, and fighting one another. Are you not proving yourself to be carnal men? 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 3. Okay? So, James chapter 3, the wisdom that is from above is pure. 
and holy and it's willing to yield to reason. The wisdom that is from below is full of fighting and, it's, and there's all kinds of vile practices. The wisdom from below, so it's two attitudes, two spirits. The one is darkness, the one is light. The one is from below, the one is from above. So the wisdom of James chapter 3 doesn't speak of the content. You can, you can have the same information, but it will be wisdom from, a, from above when you are led by the Spirit. And your heart is, you know, what do you do with the knowledge? What, what do you do with knowledge of science? Is it to glorify God and to glorify His creation? Or do you take that same knowledge with a desire to disprove God and you take that same knowledge and twist it and turn it so that people stop believing in God? Yeah. Same knowledge. Yeah. All right? Wisdom from above, wisdom from beneath. Yeah. All right. That's a whole sermon on its own. Okay. Right. So I saw the angel with an eternal gospel. Remember that. Okay. It says, Revere him, give him glory. For the hour of his judgment has arrived. Fall down before him. Pay homage and adoration and worship him who created heaven and earth, the sea and the springs and the fountains of water. Okay. So those who refuse to give him glory, Romans chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. Um, let me just, I touched on it the other day as well. All right, so he says, uh, they claiming to be wise, they became fools. Professing to be smart, they, became, uh, they made simpletons of themselves. And by them, the glory and majesty and excellence of the immortal God were exchanged for and represented by images resembling mortal man and birds and beasts and reptiles. Do you get the picture? Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their own hearts and sexual impurity to the to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, abandoning them to the degrading power of sin. Okay. Exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, uh, well, like, for this reason, God gave them over and abandoned them to the vile affections and degrading passions. Okay. So that means... Minds are darkened. Dark imaginings. Okay. So, the blood of Jesus, the gospel, the word of that, cleanses what? Your conscience. Hebrews 9, 13, 14. Okay. So, those who are cleansed by the blood, those who have taken the gospel, believing it, having their minds renewed, are transformed. They stand before the throne, holy, blameless, spotless. Which means none of that, when we were all there, but as we believed, we were saved. None of that follows us. Because that's the picture of baptism. We died, we are buried, and we are raised to a new life in union with Christ. So we died to that. And we are alive to Christ now. All right? Okay, we'll get to the baptism. All right, so 
I just wanted to expound on that so that you can see who is he talking about. Then another angel, verse 8, a second followed declaring, fallen is Babylon the Great. We spoke about that. That's the physical city, Jerusalem, who refused to take the New Testament, who refused to take the gospel that the angel is bringing to all the nations. They want the rituals of the old. Okay? Oh, you're stupid and senseless and foolish, foolish and unreflecting. Yeah, it's also foolish. <laughs> unreflecting Galatians, who bewitched you? Who has cast a spell on you? Unto whom right before your very eyes Jesus Christ was openly and graphically set forth and portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by doing the works of the law, knowledge of good and evil, or was it by hearing a message and believing it? The gospel. Okay. Then another angel, the third, followed them, saying with a mighty voice, Whoever pays homage to the beast and his statue permits the beast's stamp to be put on his forehead, on his hand. He too shall have to drink of the wine of God's indignation and wrath, poured undiluted into the cup of his anger, and shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and of the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no respite, no pause, no intermission, no rest, no peace, day or night. These who pay homage to the beast and to his image and to whoever receives the stamp of his name upon him. Okay. So it's, not a, it's a pretty gloomy picture painted. You did not come to a mountain of doom and gloom that can be touched by hands. All right? So... With the mountain where the law was given was a frightening sight. But the mountain where the law was fulfilled, Calvary, Golgotha, was also a frightening sight. Where God's wrath was poured out for all the sin. Okay? But now he says, that cup of his anger. Remember, Jesus prayed and said, Father, let this cup pass before me. But not my will, let your will be done. So Jesus drank that cup. But now he says, all these will also have to drink of that cup. With other words, the same law that judged sin on the cross will also judge people who don't take the sacrifice of Jesus. Okay? Are you with me? So Romans chapter 3 says... Verse 17, he did not send his son to judge the world, but that the world might find salvation. So his intention was to bring salvation. So he brought the law so that he could bring his son so that the law could judge the son instead of all the people. But now if we don't take the son, the judgment will come upon us. So he says, though he did not send his son to judge the world. Romans chapter 17. But that the world might find salvation. Those who believe, verse 18, will never be judged or condemned. Okay? Can we get verse 18? Okay, it's a totally different scripture. I thought it was that verse 17. Okay. If we can get uh, for, uh, John chapter 3, verse 18. It says, those who believe will never be judged. Those who believe not are condemned already because they refuse to trust in his name 
Okay? There we have it. Okay. He who believes in him is not judged. He who trusts in him never comes up for judgment. For him there is no rejection, no condemnation. He incurs no damnation. But he who does not believe is judged already. He has already been convicted. He has already received his sentence because he has not believed in and trusted in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He is condemned for refusing to let his trust rest in Christ's name. Okay. I don't want to go too much into it because it's going to take too much time. But the wrath of God has been expressed towards sin on the cross. On the cross, you see the wrath of God expressed towards sin. So that's what God pours out over sin. So now, he sent his son so that all those who believe might not get that wrath, but receive life. Okay? So if you believe in the son, you are redeemed. You are purchased. And you are placed before the throne, holy and blameless and spotless. One of the 144,000, which is obviously the spiritual meaning. It's not only 144,000 because there's more Christians in Pretoria than 144,000. Okay, so it can't be. Then we shouldn't evangelize because you dilute your chance to get in, you know. <laughs> so it's not, <laughs> so <laughs> it's not only 144,000 then please stop having children. <laughs> okay. All right. We were at the third angel. He too will have to drink of the wine of God's anger. Okay, verse 11. And the smoke of the torment sends forever and ever. Okay. So we don't want that. Verse 12. Here comes in a call for the steadfastness of the saints. The patience, the endurance of the people of God, those who habitually keep God's commandments and their faith in Jesus. Then I heard further, perceiving the distinct words of a voice from heaven, saying, Write this, Blessed, happy to be envied, are the dead from now on who die in the Lord. Yes, blessed, happy to be envied, indeed, says the Spirit in that they may rest from their labors, for their works do follow them. Okay, so now we have this picture. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, for they rest from their labor. So now they're no longer in the natural earth. And their works do follow them. So as they go to heaven, their works follow them. The only thing is they did bad works and good works, so which works follow them? So we need some more light on what the scripture says on those phrases. Okay? So you can't just take one thing out of the context of the whole word and ignore something that speaks exactly the same phrases. Alright? Okay, so let's go to... Hebrews chapter 4. Are you still following me? It's a lot of information today, but just hang on. All right. Therefore, 
While the promise of entering his rest still holds and is offered today, let us be afraid to distrust it, lest any of, of you should think he has come too late or has come short of reaching it. So this is an entering of a rest. We've preached on this so many times, okay? Does this entering the rest mean that you die and go to heaven? No. It means that by faith, you enter into something that God has promised for you. Does that make sense? Okay. So he says, for indeed we have had the glad tidings, the gospel. Okay, so here's the gospel again. Proclaimed to us just as truly as they, the Israelites of old, did when the good news from delivering from bondage came to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not mixed with faith. The entire leaning of the personality on God and absolute trust in his confidence, power, and wisdom amplified. Okay? By those who heard it. Neither were they united in faith with the ones Joshua and Caleb who heard and did believe. For we who have believed, so it's all it's all still in line with what we read in Revelation 14 till now. Are you, uh, do you follow me? Okay. We who have believed do enter that rest in accordance with his declaration that those who did not believe should not enter. When he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And this he said, although his works had been completed and prepared and waiting for all those who would believe from the foundation of the world. So there's works completed waiting for those who would believe, who would enter the rest. So if you enter the rest, what happens? There's works. All right? That is if you believe the gospel. Now, for a certain place, he said this about the seventh day. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And they forfeited their part in it for the passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Seeing then that the promise remains over from past times for some to enter that rest, and that those who formerly were given the good news about it and, uh, and the opportunity failed to appropriate it because of disobedience or unbelief. Okay? Do you see the two groups again? Okay. Again, he sets a definite day, a new today. So it's present tense. It's not future. It's not one day. It's now. Now faith is the substance of things out for the evidence of things not seen. So God sets another opportunity of securing the rest. Another today. He says today. Saying through David after so long a time in the words already quoted. Today, if you would hear his voice. And when you hear it, do not harden your hearts today if you would hear his voice oh i heard a voice saying to me write down blessed are the dead who die in the lord from now on for they will enter the rest and cease from their labors they are blessed because their works do follow them okay let's keep on reading this mention of a rest was not a reference to their entering into Canaan. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not speak afterward about another day. So then they're still awaiting a full, complete Sabbath rest reserved for the true people of God. 
Oh, now the word Sabbath creeps in. So Sabbath doesn't mean you don't wash your car on a Sunday or you don't play tennis on a Sunday. Sabbath means you cease from labor. You enter the rest and you find the works that was prepared before the foundation of the world. Do you get it? All right. So he says, let us... Wait, wait, I'm skipping something important. Verse 10. For he who has once entered God's rest also has ceased from the weariness and pain of human labors, just as God rested from those labors peculiarly his own. Let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest of God, to know and experience it for ourselves, that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience into which those in the wilderness fell. For the word of God, that the God speaks is alive, full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of the soul, immortal spirit, the joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. So how do you get your thoughts discerned or how do you sift out? How do you get out the rubbish? Get the sword of the Spirit. Abide in the Word. Let the Word dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16. Okay? So it's the Word. And not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight, but all things are open and exposed and naked and defenseless to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Inasmuch then, as we have a great high priest who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast of our confession of faith in him. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand, sympathize, have a shared feeling with our weaknesses, infirmities, and liability to the assaults of temptation, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we are yet without sinning. Let us fearlessly, confidently, boldly draw near to the throne of grace. The throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners that we may give mercy for our failures, he, that we may receive mercy for our failures, find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help, well-timed help coming just when we need it. So therefore, you need to receive the word, let the word find entrance into your heart, meditate on the word, let your mind be renewed, you're transformed from darkness to light. Okay, you're presented before the throne of God, holy, blameless, spotless, before the Father in love. All right, so you enter the rest when you enter the Holy of Holies. How do you enter the Holy of Holies? He said, come boldly. Did he say one day when you die you're going to enter, or did he say come boldly? Did he say one day when you die and go to heaven? Or did he say today I give you another opportunity? Okay? Is it one day or is it two day? Today. Hebrews chapter 10 says, He has opened and dedicated for us, verse 19 and 20, He's opened and dedicated for us a fresh, new, living way. John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. Okay? Through the, back in Hebrews 10, 19, and 20, through the separating curtain that is through his flesh, by the power of the blood of Jesus, we enter. So let us come boldly. 
let us come draw near with true, honest, sincere hearts. Okay? Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 4 says, you can come to the throne now. So when you come, what happens? You enter into a spiritual place through the blood of Christ, through the hearing of the gospel. That place is called in Christ. In the Lord. In Christ. So if you're in Christ, and Christ is in you, you have entered the rest. If your mind is renewed, you rest more. So what's the result? The works must follow. Okay, so there's judgment, and then there's works. In Revelation 14. Okay, so... Mark chapter 16 says the following. Verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news, the gospel. Okay, so there was the angel going through, flying throughout the world to preach to every nation. So the messenger went all over the world to preach the gospel. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature of the whole human race. Verse 16, he who believes that uh, yes to rise, relies, relies on the gospel and him whom it set forth and is baptized will be saved from the penalty of eternal death. Do you see that there's a penalty of eternal death? Do you see that there is judgment? But those who believe and are baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe, who does not adhere to trust, rely on the, on the gospel, and he whom it set forth, is condemned. So there's condemnation. That's the status quo, condemnation. But the moment you believe, you are redeemed from the curse of the law. Bought with the blood of Jesus. You're taken from judgment and you're placed in christ you're made holy presented before the throne holy blameless spotless you stand before the throne in the blood of jesus now not one day oh prepare to meet your maker if you haven't met him by then so what's the operating word here believe if you believe, you will never be condemned. It's also what John 5 says. Those who believe have already passed over out of death and into life. If you believe, you have now possesses eternal life. John 5. Stay in the 20s, late 20s. Okay. So he says, he who believes and are baptized will be saved. And these attesting signs will accompany those who believe. In my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new languages. Okay. Let's just jump over to the King James. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And they, if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them. They shall lay their hands on the sick. And they shall recover. 
So you enter the rest, which is the Holy of Holies. You cease from the labors that the law puts you in. And as you enter, there's works following you. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. For they shall enter the rest, they shall rest from their labors. And their works follow them. So wherever they go, signs, wonders, miracles. But we all saw that scripture and we thought, no, it's when I die, one day I go to heaven. My works follow me to heaven. What works are you going to do in heaven? Those who receive the abundance of grace, free gift of righteousness, will reign as kings in life. Not in death. Yes, but it says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Yes, those who believe and are baptized will be saved. If you think, she didn't get it. When I saw this yesterday, I was like, I can't say this. <laughs> okay, listen. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Father's house. Where's the father's house? The holy of holies. Dwelling places. Everyone who dwells there. It's not one day you die, I go to prepare a place for you, then I come back to you again. So when you die, I come take you back. He didn't come every time someone dies to take him back to him so that where he is, we can be also. He did it once at the cross. I go to prepare a place for you. So he died. He opened up the way for us. He opened a way, fresh new living way into the Holy of Holies. He cleansed the heavens, says Hebrews, with his own blood. He opened it up for us so that we can just come. He prepared a place, a dwelling place. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? So the city didn't have the temple because the, the Lord is the temple. Okay. Let's just read Romans 6. Lots of time. Okay. If this is a hard word to take, sorry. Forgive me. But it's good news, right? You don't have to postpone everything to one day in heaven. What about now? Did Jesus die to just get you to heaven? If you did, where's the scripture? Can anyone give me one scripture? What did I say, Romans 6? What shall we say to all this? Speaking to all this, he's saying, man, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. He's speaking of all the grace expressed in Romans chapter 5. So he says, what shall we say to all this? Are we to remain in sin in order that God's grace may multiply and overflow? Certainly not. How can we who died to sin live in it any longer? That word died is exactly the same word as the word died in Revelation. 
Okay? Are you ignorant of the fact that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Blessed are the dead who die in him from now on. In him. So you're either going to die in him or you're going to die in your sins. Because Jesus said to the, to the uh, Pharisees, he says, you're going to die in your sins. Okay? So, if your sins follow you, <laughs> then you've got a problem. But Romans 4 says, if we just page back, oh man, blessed, happy to be envied are those whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered up and completely buried. Romans 4 verse 7. Completely buried. So, baptism. Are you ignorant of the fact that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We died in the Lord. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so we too might habitually live and behave in newness of life, not death. For if we have become one with him by sharing a death like his, we shall also be one with him in sharing his resurrection by a new life lived for God. We know that our old unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil, that we might no longer be slaves of sin. For when a man dies, he is freed, loosed, delivered from the power of sin among men. Now if we have died with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him. Because we know that Christ, being once raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. Okay. Back to Revelation chapter 14. Wait. On the way there, Matthew 9. Oh yes, this is where Jesus said, He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. John 8 verse 23. You are from below, I am from above. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees who subscribe to Moses. You are of this world. I am not of this world. That is why I told you that you will die in and under the curse of your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he whom I claim to be, if you do not adhere, trust, and rely on me, you will die in your sins. So if you believe, you die in him. But if you do not believe, you will die in your sins. Okay. So we remain in our sins. John 12 says more or less the same thing. We, when, we, when we die in him, our sins are buried completely in the water of baptism. They will not follow you. But what will follow you? Signs, wonders, miracles you enter the rest john chapter 5 okay so jesus says in verse 16 for this reason the jews began to persecute jesus and sought to kill him because he was doing these things on the sabbath okay so remember the law says the sabbath you must stop working six days you must do all your work on the seventh on the sabbath you must rest cease from your labors because God rested on the Sabbath, on the seventh day. Okay, so now he says, Jesus was doing miracles on the Sabbath. So he's always, okay, wake up, okay, it's Sabbath. Okay, where's the Pharisees? Let's go find some sick people. Okay, 
So he works on their nerves. Every time. So then they say, why do you do it on a Sabbath? Just do it on another day. So he says, Jesus answered them. My father has worked even until now. He has never ceased working. He is still working. And I too must be at divine work. This made the Jews more determined than ever to kill him, to do away with him. Because he not only was breaking and weakening the Sabbath, but he actually was speaking of God as being in a special sense his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus answered them by saying, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, the son is able to do nothing of himself, but he is able to do only what he sees the father doing. And whatever the father does is what the son does in the same way. Okay, so those who are led by the Spirit are sons. So what do they do? They do what they see their father doing. They are led by the Spirit. Father is Spirit, John 4. And those who worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and in truth. Verse 20. The Father dearly loves the Son and discloses to Him everything that He Himself does. And He will disclose to Him greater things than these, so that you may marvel and be full of wonder and astonishment. If anyone believes in Me, He will do the works that I do, and even greater works than these, because I go to My Father. It all checks out. Just as the Father raised up the dead and gives them life, make them live on, even so the Son also gives life to whomever He wills and is pleased to give it. Even the Father judges no one, for He has given all judgment, judgment, the whole business of judging entirely into the hands of the Son. So that all men may give honor to the Son, just as they give honor to the Father. In fact, who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who has sent him. I assure you, Muslim, I tell you, the person whose ears are open to my words. I mean, that's right through Revelation. If anyone has an ear to hear, Hebrews 4. If you, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Who listens to my message and believes and trusts and clings to, relies on him who he sent, sent me has possesses now eternal life and he does not come into judgment does not incur sentence of judgment will not come under condemnation but he has already passed over out of death into life so you either die in baptism raised to a new life in union with god and receive eternal life or you die in your sins and be thrown in a horrible place. What about people who believe in Jesus, who is washed in the blood, and they died? Well, because they received Christ, they are in Christ. But they, they were in Christ the moment they received Jesus. They were not in Christ when they died. I mean, they didn't travel to Christ when they died. That's what I mean. When, if, if you are born again, did I lose all of you? Okay. If you are born again, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Right? So if your body dies, you are still in Christ where you were. You don't have to travel anywhere. It's just your body dies. But your spirit is still one with the spirit of God. So you are still, as you were when you got born again, 
seated at the right hand of the Father, seated with Christ in heavenly places, Ephesians 2 verse 6. That happened the moment you got born again. All right? You don't have to travel there when you die. You are there when you believe. You've already passed over out of death into life. Okay. Died to the law, Romans 6. Died to sin, Romans 6. Died to the law, Romans 7. We're not going to read all of it because it's going to keep us here till forever. Okay. Right. Let's go back to Revelation 14. So I'm going to read verse 13 again. Then I heard, further perceiving the distinct words of a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead from now on. From when on? From the cross on. Who die in the Lord. Yes, blessed, says the Spirit, in that they may rest from their labors, for their works follow them. So you enter the rest, you rest from your labors, and the works of the new creation man follows you. Verse 14, again I looked, and behold, I saw a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud, one resembling a son of man with a crown of gold on his head, a sharp scythe in his hand. And another angel came in on the t- uh, out of the temple sanctuary, calling with a mighty voice to him who was sitting upon the cloud, put in your scythe and reap, for the hour has arrived to gather the harvest of the earth's, earth's crop is fully ripened. So he who was sitting upon the cloud swung his scythe, his sickle, on the earth, and the earth's crop was harvested. Then another angel came out of the temple sanctuary in heaven, and he also carried a sharp scythe, or a sickle. And another angel came forth from the altar, the angel who has authority and power over fire. And he called with a loud cry to him who had the sharp scythe, Put forth your scythe and reap the fruitage of the vine of the earth. For its grapes are entirely ripe. So the angel swung his scythe on the earth and stripped the grapes and gathered the vintage from the vines of the earth and cast it into the huge winepress of God's indignation and wrath. And the grapes in the winepress were trodden outside the city and the blood Poured from the winepress, reaching as high as horses' bridles for a stadia distance of 1,600 stadia, about 200 miles. Okay. That's high for 200 miles. Remember, spiritual visions. Scythe. So what, what the harvest? Jesus said in Matthew 9, he says, Pray for the Lord of the harvest... To thrust forth laborers into the harvest. That harvest is the wheat harvest. That harvest is the people who needs to come in. The people in the valley of decision. That's the, the harvest of souls that need to come in. But this is a different harvest. The harvest of the fruitage of the vine is a different harvest. And this harvest must be the cross. It's not coming. It's the cross. It speaks of the blood of Jesus. So two scriptures, then we're done. Hopefully. All right? Do I still have your attention? I need to finish this. Okay. Isaiah chapter 5. 
Now, I'm just touching on it. So there's so much more. Okay. Let me sing of, and for my greatly beloved, a tender song of my beloved concerning his vineyard, his chosen people. So who is the vineyard? His chosen people. So who were chosen? Israel. Right? My greatly beloved had a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. And he dug and trenched the ground and gathered out the stones from it and planted it with the choicest vine. So they were God's chosen people. A built, and built a tower in the midst of it and hewed out a winepress in it. And he looked for it to bring forth grapes and brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to bring forth grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you, what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it shall be eaten and burned up and I will break down its wall and it shall be trodden down by enemies. Okay, remember, Jesus said, Matthew 23, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you like a hen gathered the chickens, but you refused it. You would not. So he prophesied the destruction, Matthew chapter 23 and 24, of Jerusalem, 70 AD. It's not coming. It's not the rapture. It's, not, it's speaking of the end of the world, meaning the end of the Jewish world. Another sermon. Okay? Matthew 23, 24 is the destruction of Jerusalem, 70 AD, in detail, in incredible detail according to the writings of Josephus, and he's a historian that wrote everything down. Verse 6, And I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned or cultivated, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain, not, uh, rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So if you read about the vineyard, it says it's the house of Israel in Isaiah. So you don't have to wonder who the vineyard is. The scripture says the vineyard is the house of Israel. Okay? And the men of Judah, his pleasant planting, the planting of his delight. And he looked for justice, but behold, he saw oppression and bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, for uprightness and right standing with God. But behold, he heard a cry of oppression and distress. So he came to look for fruit, but he found wild grapes. Okay? Woe to those who join house to house and by violently expelling the poorer occupants enclose large acreage and join field to field until there is no place for others and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. Okay, etc., etc., etc. So if you read... Revelation 14. Put in your scythe and reap, for the hour has arrived to gather the harvest, for the earth's crop is fully ripened. But earlier he says, the time of his judgment has come, the time of his judgment has come, the time of his judgment has come. 
When was the judgment? On the cross. The fruit was fully ripe. The wild grapes. The bad fruit. All the sin that needed to be punished was fully ripe. And he put in his scythe and he collected all the grapes. And he put it in a wine press outside the city. So the vineyard is Israel. And the fruit is, we just read it in Isaiah chapter 5. The, the fruit that, was, that they were reaping were the wild grapes. He came to seek righteousness, but he didn't find it. He found wild grapes. So what does, sin, what does the law do? The law gives the knowledge of sin. So if you want sin to increase, then preach the law. If you want righteousness to increase, then preach the grace of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Because that cleanses you and makes you righteous. If you want sin to increase, where sin abounded, grace abounded more. Okay? Romans 5 says, the law caused the sin to be more exciting opposition, to, to grow, to get more. Romans 5 says, just going to read one verse, then we go to Isaiah 63. So he says, while we were yet in weakness, Romans 5 or 6, powerless to help ourselves, at the fitting time, Christ died for the ungodly. When the fruit were fully ripe, in the fullness of time, when all the sin was at its ripest, he said, okay, it's time to reap all this sin. It's time for me to take the harvest of sin and take the wrath that the Lord describes it and put it on myself. So Revelation 14, the harvest there is the harvest of sin and the judgment of sin on the body of Christ on the cross. Isaiah 63. Now think the blood of Christ, okay? Okay. Who is this who comes from Edom with crimson stained garments from Bosra in Edom? This one who is glorious in his apparel, striding triumphantly in the greatness of his might. It is I, the one who speaks in righteousness, proclaiming vindication, mighty to save. Why is your apparel splashed with red and your garment like the one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. And the peoples that was no, uh, and of the peoples there was no one with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath, and their lifeblood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I stained all of my raiment. So his own anger came upon himself, judging the sin on his own body. Verse four, and the day for the day of vengeance was in my heart. And my year of redemption, the year of my redeemed has come. And I looked, but there was no one to help. I was amazed and appalled that there was no one to uphold truth and right. So my own arm brought me victory and my wrath upheld me. So he looked, but he couldn't find. My own arm brought me victory. My wrath upheld me. 
I trod down the peoples in my anger and made them drink of the cup of my wrath until they were intoxicated and spilled their lifeblood upon the earth. Remember, Revelation 14 says those who did not believe in him were, had to also drink of the cup. Okay. Spilled their lifeblood upon the earth. I will recount the loving kindness of the Lord, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his mercy, according to the multitude of his loving kindness. So Israel's fruit was harvested and trampled, but still he says, I will recount the loving kindness of the Lord and the good promised to, where am I? Great goodness to the house of Israel, which he granted to them according to his mercy. So what is that? The gospel. First to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. His mercy was given to them. For he said, surely they are my people. Sons who will not lie, who will not deal falsely with me. And so he was to them a savior in all their distresses. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them in his love and in his pity. He redeemed them. There's the redemption again. And he lifted them up and carried them. But they rebelled and they grieved his Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay. Why are we reading this? This more scriptures, the parable of the vineyard with the fig tree, the parable of the vineyard with a tower in it, sending his, the, the man sent his servants and they killed them, killed them, killed them, sent his son. So they killed him to, to take their inheritance. It's the same thing over and over, the vineyard, the vineyard, the vineyard. We need to Read this so that we can understand that this whole portion of Scripture speaks of the cross, speaks of the gospel, and speaks of those who were saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus and those who refused it by disbelieving. Two groups. All right? And now he says, those who believe and are baptized will be saved. So baptism speaks of we're baptized into his death, we die in him so that we are raised, we share his life with him. Blessed, verse 30, are those, are the dead from now on, from the cross on, who die in the Lord. He is blessed, happy to be envied indeed, says the Spirit, in that they may rest from their labors. So enter the rest, Hebrews 4, for their works, their deeds, to follow them. And these signs and wonders will follow them that believe. You are the redeemed of the Lord. You are washed in His blood. You are presented before the throne, holy, blameless, and spotless. So now is the time to cease from the labors of the law. Cease from your human effort and start taking up the works that were prearranged ahead of time for you to walk in. Okay, I'm just looking for a place to land the plane. <laughs> okay. Ephesians chapter 4. No, chapter 2. Let's land the plane there. There's a nice runway there. Ephesians chapter 2. 
Are you tired? Yeah, yeah, this is why it. All your fuses blown. Okay. When I read this, I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> okay, so Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 10 says, For we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship recreated in Christ, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined and planned beforehand for us. Okay? The works that was made ready before the foundation of the earth. Hebrews chapter 4. Taking paths which He prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us to live. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles, heathens in the flesh, called uncircumcision by those who called themselves circumcision. Remember that you were at time separated, living apart from Christ, excluded from all part in Him, utterly estranged and outlawed from the rights as, uh, of Israel as a nation, strangers with no share in the sacred compacts of the Messianic promise, with no knowledge of or right in God's agreements, and you had no hope you were in the world without God. But now, in Christ, you who were once so far away through the blood of Christ have been brought near. For he is himself our peace, our bond, our unity, our harmony. He has made us both Jew and Gentile, one body, and has broken down and destroyed the hostile dividing wall between us by abolishing in his own crucified flesh the enmity caused by the law with its decrees and ordinances which he annulled that he from the two might create in himself one new man okay that's the 12 and the 12 and the thousand okay one new quality of humanity out of the two so making peace and he designed to reconcile to God both Jew and Gentile in a single body by means of his cross, thereby killing the mutual enmity and bringing the feud to an end. And he came and preached the glad tidings of peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. For it is through him that we both, whether far off or near, now have an introduction by one Holy Spirit to the Father so that we are able to to approach him. Therefore, you are no longer outsiders, but you share citizenship with the saints. You're in the city, okay? And you belong to God's own household. You were built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Here you go. With Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. You can just keep on reading. You see the same stuff over and over and over again. There's the whole thing. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. But we've been hearing doctrines all saying, let your church go. Let your church go. Let your church go. But he says, pray this wise, let your kingdom come. In earth as it is in heaven. Heaven must come here. If you're resurrected, you are back here. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. 
Lord Jesus, we pray for great revelation in the word. We, we receive it with humility. And we, we pray for peace in every heart. In Jesus' name. Lord, I just pray. Let all things keeping us away from walking in fellowship with you and in the miraculous today here on this earth be removed. And let us dwell in your presence all the days of our lives. And let us walk in your power. Lord, let your kingdom come in this earth as it is in heaven. Amen. 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 Thank you for watching, everybody. Be blessed. I'm going to go and, you know, freak out and shake somewhere. Okay.